cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 19th of November, 2008. For the newcomers out there, and there's always newcomers coming in, that's the good news, I suggest you look into my website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com, and I give you so many shortcuts to try and paint the big picture for those who are waking up. And I try to bypass all the distractions that are put out there to trap you into various endless loops of thinking and disinformation. So you can download as many of the free audios as you wish, do it at your leisure, and you'll come to a rather quick understanding. And it's not terribly pleasant because the world in which we live is vastly different in reality than the way we've been trained to perceive it. Also look into Alan AlanWattSentinel.eu and you can download transcripts and print them up and they're done in the various languages of Europe. Pass them around to your friends. At least you can find people who are willing to hear the news. And it's not the good news, it's the bad news. The matrix itself is a system, a complete system, integrated system that truly has been scientifically devised to bring up billions of people into a false reality, a, a reality where their behavior is guided, their culture, in fact, is guided. And even when the culture changes, they don't realize that it's all planned in advance. Nothing happens by itself at the top. You'd lose control if you are at the top. And for this, you have to go into the whole history of eugenics. Eugenics truly is behind everything. It's the science of special breeding, basically. That's what eugenics is all about. And so many of the big players today, the popular names that you hear that get presented to the public, especially up in politics or the heads of institutions, and powerful organizations are the descendants of people and families who specially bred and had their mates selected for them for specific qualities. It's not a new idea. It goes back for thousands of years. You can go into their all lineages of even Sumer to find out that often they'd marry their sisters as a king and a queen. Same with the pharaohs of Egypt and royalty all down through the ages have been into marrying their close cousins. It's often been suggested that this was simply to keep power and money, wealth accumulated within the families. That's only part of it, in a sense, a spin-off from it because the real meaning was that being of royal blood, you were superior genetically, mentally, and it never really changed. When Charles Galton Darwin came out with his book, The Next Million Years, 
he basically put into writing the agenda for the, for the future for the world. And he belonged to some of the top associations of his time, which still exist today, which guide the whole scientific communities and also the heads of education in countries across the world. He belonged to the Royal Society. The Royal Society is a group of people, scientists mainly, who are asked to join. You can't apply to join. And it was set up 500 years ago in the days of Francis Bacon. And we'll be back with more on this topic after this break. Charter by royalty itself. 
to use that term. And in the Royal Society, as I said, it goes back for hundreds of years, which initially was a, a Freemasonic scientific society. A very interesting one in that, because when you were asked to join, you had to give up any family you had to join it and be a member. You had to put your wife to the side and leave her with family and give them enough money to support themselves, supposedly, that's what they say, and join it. It was a fraternity. Because what they were up to was, to, uh, was a plan to guide uh, world commonwealth into existence and also to, to basically control the masses, the herd, as they saw it. And all famous players that came out, Sir Isaac Newton and others, were members of this, became members of this society. Bacon himself had to join it, and he did put his wife away. He, he left her to get this great, incredible honor. And what they do in there is discuss the future in terms that would never be used in polite society because they can say things and do things that, that's contrary to good manners, you might say, or even to human decency because it's all about eugenics and guiding the world and topics like culling off people that are inferior and so on and so on and so on. It's very secretive. And at one time it was barred to all female scientists and eventually when they had the right ones in the, in the 20th century who were also taught eugenics and believed in it, they started to bring in female scientists as well. But what is this, this great belief in eugenics that these guys had? Well, you see, in Charles Galton and Charles Darwin's day, they were already practicing eugenics in certain families, very intense in breeding. And even though they had many offspring with genetic deformities and problems, and many of them died very young or at birth even, it was always for the one who survived that they said it was worth it because the one who survived would have the traits of the parents. You find that the Darwin family only intermarried for generations with the Wedgwood family, the famous pottery company that they owned in England. Intense inbreeding. And you can find more on this particular topic in a book. It's called Darwin and the New World Order by Ian Taylor, an excellent book which debunks a lot of their science, in fact. Well worth the read. But you also find that another character came along called Galton. And Galton, again, was a product of intense inbreeding. And he espoused and spouted off as well the same theories because his family were believers in eugenics. And he was the guy who came up with the IQ test and tried to claim that most of the common people in Britain and elsewhere were simply mentally retarded and they'd have to be controlled by sterilization, etc. A massive, massive organization was formed, Eugenic Society, to deal with their plans. And they did, in fact, have forced sterilization in various countries that came out, all by the pressure put on society by these foundations and organizations. Incredibly wealthy. Incredibly wealthy. As I say, the, the world is run by foundations that are interconnected and they form the parallel government, the real government. 
the song was at work. Eventually, when the Galtons married, married into the Darwin family, Charles Galton Darwin in the 1950s, very interesting character. When you look at his history, he wrote a book called The Next Million Years. It was hailed as a, as a great expose or expositor of much needed truth and topics that were coming out into the open for the first time. Now, Sir Charles Galton, Galton Darwin, he himself was a physicist, and he was well in, again, with the Royal Society. He was also a member of the, the, um, the British Eugenics Association, and he was also at one time employed on the Manhattan Project for the atom bomb. So this was no little fledgling Darwinian here. Uh, this was a character up in positions of power who was knighted by royalty, very high knighthood he got. And when you look into his offspring, it gives you a clue of who they'd already been breeding into for years. Because in 1925, Charles Galton Darwin married Cecilie Darwin, who was also a scientist. And it goes down here, and it says, George Pember Darwin worked developing computers, and then in 1964 married Angela Huxley of the famous Huxley family, daughter of David Bruce Huxley. She was granddaughter of the, the writer Leonard Huxley and great-granddaughter of Thomas Huxley. In other words, she was related through descent from the Huxley lineage, the other big players in this movement towards eugenics. The man, Aldo Huxley, who wrote Brave New World, all to do with the coming society, and he wrote that back in the 1930s. How did he know that genetics would rule and they could create new beings back in the 30s? Well, you see, all of these characters, Darwin, the Huxleys, the Galtons, and many, many other ones, famous players, were all intermarried, all interbred. It's, it's quite amazing. And, and Charles Galton Darwin really believed in the Malthusian catastrophe theory. Malthus, again, was another predecessor of theirs, came out with the necessity to start killing off the poor by the creation of poor houses. So when you became broke and you were evicted from your rental accommodation, they put you in poor houses, and these poor houses were to be erected in the most unpleasant, damp, swampy places to make sure that people did not last long. And true enough, people only lasted generally about three months before they died. This is the way of culling them off. Under the guise of charitable works, isn't that so typical of the way they operate. It's rather phenomenal, really. The same tricks are used today with all these philanthropists who are out there to help us all and guide us into their brave new world. But the Huxley lineage as well, as I say, that they're married into the Darwinian group and the Wedgwood and the Huxleys, etc., 
Thomas Huxley, Sir Thomas Huxley, he was the best friend of Charles Darwin. And when Darwin died, he championed the cause. And isn't it amazing that their offspring can live up to what they say by special breeding and predict the kind of offspring they're going to have. And these guys are like clones of each other. They're so inbred. They they carry on the family tradition and they're into the sciences. You never have someone who comes out and says, I want to be a, 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 a dustman or I want to be an actor. No, they want to be a scientist. Kind of like the Rothschilds want to be bankers. Quite amazing, isn't it? Predictable. And that's what comes out of eugenics, you see, predictability. And I predict we're run by psychopaths and will be for a long time yet. Back with more after this break. I am Alan Watt. This is Cutting Through the Matrix. Discussing these wonderful people, these creatures who see themselves literally as a separate breed. And Charles Galton Darwin said that himself. He, he truly believed they'd gone through an evolution with their selective special breeding. But I'm, I'm telling you about the, the connections they have here. And Here's another connection that ties in with something I talked about recently with this big monetary fiasco as they bring the world into the next part of the, of the basically the, the Bretton Woods Agreement. Because I talked about John Maynard Keynes, who set up the system we've been running up to now for economics. Well, here is the, the sister of this particular Charles Galton Darwin. Her name was, was Margaret, and she married Geoffrey Keynes, the brother of the economist John Maynard Keynes. And I gave a quote last week, I think it was, from Keynes' own writings to do with the next part of the economic system. He said it won't come in in our lifetimes. We won't see it will be the next generation who see it, part two, basically, where they'll turn the world into a world of service, where everyone will be in service to the system, and the great accumulators of wealth will be gone. They were talking, of course, about competition. All interrelated. It's, it's rather phenomenal to tie them together, these characters. And then, of course, with two going back to the Huxleys, you find that that Julian Huxley was the first CEO of UNESCO, United Nations Organization, set up to create a world culture through the indoctrination and standardization process of, of the teachers, decided off with national teachers associations, which became international educational associations, still running today. Back to the book by... Charles Galton Darwin, the physicist, the next million years. And in page, again written in the 1950s, page 126, he says, there's no prospect of man's nature imitating an insect because he was, he mentions this because he was talking about the perfect system of creating the beehive with selective breeding and people purpose bred for their tasks. And again, remember who he is, a guy who worked on the Manhattan Project, 
who was knighted by royalty, very high order of royalty, as a knight. And the particular knighthood that he got is run by the Duke of Edinburgh, the man who said there's just too many people for the food that we have on the planet. They're all on the same page, these characters, because they all belong to the same interbred families with the same religion. So he says, there's no prospect of man's nature imitating an insect, but it's much more nearly imaginable that its development should go like that of the dogs into a set of breeds, each specialized for a particular purpose. We all of us know of whole families which possess gifts specialized in some particular direction, and if the specialization were narrowed and the gifts improved till all competitors were surpassed, such a family would have turned itself into a breed. Now remember, he's talking as though this was something to come, while his own family and many of his, or most of his acquaintances, his own peer group, have been doing this for centuries. And they're talking about breeding other people, the ordinary folk, basically, for their base tasks, the common tasks. On page 130, it says, at every turn, the argument leads back to this question of the master breed. Remember the master race. Now, this is after World War II, when supposedly the world went to war against someone else who had grabbed the same Darwinian concept of a master race through selective breeding, Adolf Hitler. And they dropped their title of eugenic society and called it another name. It sounded more pleasant. But it was still the same organization that had been communicating with Germany all through the war and before the war. Because they're all on the same page, these, these Nazis. Nazi was not confined to Germany. It says, nothing can be done in the way of changing man from a wild into a tame animal without first creating such a breed. But most people are entirely inconsistent in their ideas of what they want created. On the one hand, they feel that all the world's problems would be solved if only they were a wise and good man who would tell everybody what to do. Well, that's Obama, isn't it? But on the other hand, they bitterly re resent being themselves told what to do. As to which of these motives would prevail, it seems at least probable that it would be the resentment, so that if the breach should arise in any manner, it would be extirpated before it could ever become well-established. It is, however, imaginable that there might be a part of the world in which the breed was accepted. See, he was calling it the breed. And Bulwer Lytton's books uh, that preceded this book, uh, another high Freemason belonging to, to, to the same club, he called it the coming race, the race. He was calling it the breed. But this part should gain superiority over the rest of the world because it could develop various suitable breeds of specialists under the control and direction of the master breed. And by the exercise of the skills of these specialists, it might overcome the other nations. So it is appropriate to look a little further into the matter. And I hear the music coming in, I think. And so I'll hold off until after the break with the rest of this, these quotes from his book. Back in a minute. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
I'm Alan Watts, and we're cutting to the matrix, reading from the, some of the quotations, at least in quotations from The Next Million Years by Charles Galton Darwin. Charles Galton Darwin was a, a fellow of the Royal Society, as I mentioned earlier. He was president of the Physical Society. He, had, he was a knight of the British Empire. I think he was a commander. He was also president of the Eugenic Society, 1953 to 1959. And he had honored degrees from the University of Manchester, St. Andrews College, and Trinity College, Dublin. He was a physicist who worked on the Manhattan Project, amongst other very hush-hush projects, including genetics. And I've been reading about how we talked about the master breed and what they need to create a master breed. And he says here in his book, this is page 131, imagine that through new discoveries in biology, say by suitably controlled doses of x-rays, it becomes possible to modify the genes in any desired direction so that heritable changes can be produced in the qualities of some members of the human race. I may say I do not believe this is ever likely to be practical, but that does not matter as far as concerns the present argument. The first success might be in some physical attribute, for example, by making a breed with longer and stronger legs so it could jump a good deal higher than anyone can at present. But passing to more important matters, matters there may be created a breed which could think more abstractly, say a breed of mathematicians, or one that could think more judiciously, say a breed of higher civil servants. These would be of great value, but they would not be the master breed. And the question arises of a more precise prescription for what the qualities of the master breed are to be. Now, he's really giving the same agenda as Plato did 2,300 years before in his book, The Republic, where he talked about a master breed that would be the guardian class and all the helpers down below, different categories of them. You see, there's a very old belief system in religion. And he says here, it is usually best to build on what one already has rather than to start from nothing. So the natural procedure would be to begin with existing rulers since these have already established themselves as acceptable to at least a good many of their fellow creatures. One would collect together, say, a hundred of the most important present rulers. Among them, of course, should be included a good many who were who exert secret influence without holding any overt office. See, these little, that's how they give you little slips of how it already was in his day and before his day, and it is today. I've talked again about the parallel government, where Professor Carl Quigley mentioned that the real wielders of real power work behind the scenes, knowing that they have the real power and they're not answerable to the public, the Maurice Strongs, the Kissingers, Brzezinski's, and so on, the technocrats. So here he says, not just the rulers, and that's plural rulers. He's talking about the elite of all countries. They have one big club, you see, amongst all the races. So among them, of course, should be included a good many who exert secret influence without holding any overt office. See, the parallel government was up and running back then. And tell them to get on with the business of settling what the master breed should be. It is impossible to believe that any such body of men would ever reach agreement on any subject with 
whatsoever. So this plan fails. Then he goes into the, all the other alternatives to doing it. He mentions Plato as well. And he goes back into on page 132. Breeds are specialized for particular purposes, but the essence of masters is that they must not be specialized. Now here's your key to it. He goes on to say in his book too that the elite, the, the master race or master breed, must retain all of their survival capabilities. They must be more primitive than the ones they're domesticating because they will be guiding the world and the future of the world. So they will retain, they will not lobotomize themselves. They'll have us all lobotomized to be domestic creatures who work happily for them. It says, of all animals, man is the most ready to try experiments and there are always candidates, far too many candidates who regard themselves as fit members for the master breed. Isn't that true when you look at the new age? They've all been conned into believing that they're superior and they're all coming through it because they've paid their fees, done their courses, done all their meditation, hyperventilated with shortness of breath, had their little hallucinations through cyanosis, and they truly believe they're ready to join the elite. Please tell them, no, they won't. It says, this quality is a characteristic of a wild animal, and it will always prevent man from domesticating himself. He, was, he will always prevent the creation of the master breed through which alone the rest of man could be domesticated. The evolution of the human race will not be accomplished in the 10,000 years of tame animals, but in the million years of wild animals, because a man is and always will be or continue to be a wild animal. But the rest of his book goes on to ways of changing the wild animal, at least for the rest of the public. And on page 148 he says, I've already shown the short-term difficulties which seem to make it sure that no spontaneous process will avoid the menace of overpopulation. Is it possible that the statesmen of all countries perceiving these dangers should combine together to make and enforce a worldwide policy of limitation? It would have to be worldwide because if any nation were recalcitrant, its population would increase relatively to the rest, so that sooner or later it would dominate the others. But the prospect of such a worldwide policy are not good as witnessed by the total failure hitherto achieved in the far easier problem of military disarmament. How would the nations settle the respective numbers admissible for their populations while well, through the United Nations Department of Population and Control? You see, that's already been set up to deal with that problem. But then he goes on to talk about how to do it. Just with sterilization on 100, page 149. And if we jump to a page 183, it gets into very interesting stuff. The whole book is interesting because it ties in with everything that's happening. And you can tie in the aerial spring, I'm sure, and the bisphenol A, and the phthalates, and so on, that I've been talking about over the last two or three weeks. 183, it says, The artificial use of hormones has already, already been shown to have profound effects on the behavior of animals, and it seems quite possible that hormones, or perhaps drugs, might have similar effects on man. For example, there might be a drug which, without other harmful effects, removed the urgency of sexual desire and so reproduced on inhumanity the status of workers in a beehive. Or there might be another drug that produced a permanent state of contentment in the recipient. After all, alcohol does something like this already. 
but has other disadvantages and is only temporary in its effects. A dictator would certainly welcome the compulsory administration of the contentment drug to his subjects. Well, we have the fluoride and the water and many other things besides. Now they've altered all of our foods. But in the book, as I say, he goes on to talk about ways to administer things like hormone alterations in the human body. And I've read the articles to do with the fact that the males today are almost completely infertile because of synthetic estrogen, the very, the very hormone that he advocates in this particular book. So people should read the book, The Next Million Years. I've got a, an old copy here. I don't know about the e-books. I find most e-books have things in whole chunks that sometimes uh, omitted from them. So those of you who still truly want to build up a library to use in the future, and this is essential that people do this kind of thing, because, you see, our purpose is to pass down through the ages the truth to people. That's the purpose that we have. And for those to come, however remote it might be in this day and age where everyone's going sterile, but we must have the, the information here to pass on. You know, for centuries and centuries, information was passed on by tiny groups to selected people in times of totalitarian rule. And nothing really has changed. We're under incredible totalitarian rule today. The problem today is we don't have time to teach one-on-one -on -one anymore because they're on a roll now to the whole new world order. We see the effects in us. The population are dropping off all kinds of diseases with uh, cancers. It's now taught as normal that everybody's, everyone's going to die of a cancer. And when you look at the histories of the cancers, many of them are unknown 50 years ago. Everything happened, as I say, from 1950 onwards and escalated with the uh, the introduction of new inoculations and so on. You'll find in the, in the teachings of Charles Galton Darwin, and it's the method, of course, in which they write. You have to read between the lines at times to give you hints of introductions of techniques into the population. Rather than say, we will do this to the public, they have other ways to, to phrase it that don't sound so harsh. Most folk gloss over it and forget it. And that's why it's written that way. But in other parts of it, he's also straightforward on the necessity to destroy the family unit, to encourage women to get into the workforce, to, and he doesn't even mention increasing the tax base, which was, of course, was one part of it. But he says we've got to stop them from breeding by enticing them to have material goods and forgo having a family. Uh, that has happened in this materialistic culture now that we have today. And the more materialistic it becomes, the more the agenda rolls forward successfully, and the more we go under, the faster we go under. There's such a long history with these characters who are all interrelated, as I say. And the general public have no idea of the offspring that still run the world today in this day and age. Now we'll go to the, the callers now. I think we've got callers there. Um, is there Aaron from California? Uh, hello? Yes. 
Oh, Alan, it's good to talk to you. Yes. Um, first of all, I want to thank you for what you're doing, and uh, I appreciate the fact that you don't give away everything and expect us to look things up for ourselves. Yes. Uh, I want you to know that we do appreciate that. You see, the Human uh, Genome Project is a, is a front, is, is part of the eugenics movement, and when you go into the Human Genome Project, what will come up is genome.gov, government. See, the government's running the Genome Project. And a section that you must go into, if I have it here, in fact, is this one. Uh, don't go to the front page. It comes off the front page. It's to do with uh, their, their ethics, etc. And when you scroll down, you go into what they're really all about not to improve the health of people. Remember, too, that the Nazis called it race, health, and, and etc. And this uses the same sort of cover for the Genome Project. It says here, the impact of genomics on concepts of race, ethnicity, kinship, and individual and group identity. And then it goes into... Uh, so basically, it's just, it, is, see, it is the eugenics program, and the governments all have a department. All the Western governments have a department, and they run, they run this project. They're taking the stats on all of us through the sensors, bureaus that they have, and through all the data collection they have on every individual. It's run by our own governments. So uh, absolutely. They work for? <laughs> yeah. It, it's interesting how people think that their uh, transhumanism is going to better themselves, and they'll be able to uh, basically make themselves however they want to be. Yes, and that ties right in what I just said about Charles Galton, Darwin. He says many think that, that they're fit to get in to the master, the master breed, but they're not. Yeah. 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 Oh, boy. So that's, that's where you are. You see, um, you have many willing fools who will actually work at the bottom level even, uh, all towards their agenda. It's the same with the, the, the greening of the planet and all these kind of things. They're, they're the willing fools, the armies that are created, the groups that are nothing without a head, and the heads are supplied for them. Um, it's the same with this, this transhumanist agenda. When you look at the top professors across the world, the, the, the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them in their fields and genetics, etc., this is all part of the, of the eugenics program. And believe you me, most people are not going to be chosen for their genes. If they are, it's to take one or two genes out of them and implant in some other special fetus. Yeah. Well, like I said, Alan, thank you very much, and uh, thanks for not giving away all the uh, spiritual information and letting us find that out for ourselves, because that's what it's all about. Yes, there's a difference between knowing and believing. Believers or followers knowing are people who have uh, a knowledge of it, which has to be, it comes to you. It comes to you. Absolutely. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Sean from Idaho. Are you there, Sean? Hey, Alan. How are you this evening? I'm just hanging in. It's a very snowy night up here, but I've got the fire going. Well, excellent. Hey, thanks for taking my call. And, uh, and along those same lines, I, uh, I, I uh, watched Gattaca over the weekend. Yes. And it just—it was incredible to, to see, you know, the, the technology that is possible. I know that. You know, as you say, it, uh, it gets into the predictive programming, you know, aspect so that when this technology is in the mainstream, well, it already is, but, 
with people it's already familiar to them but what I found interesting is is the classes that it created yes and uh, uh, anyway, I, with those who have genetic enhancement and were created in the test tube uh, amongst the commoners right. yeah yeah and I just want to say too you know I, I really appreciate your humility in, in discussing uh, you know sharing your knowledge with us and I've, I've also sensed here the last couple of weeks a little bit more indignancy uh, coming from you, and <laughs> yes, appreciate that too. But I hope it's infectious. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. And you know what I wanted to say too. I, I find it you know comical a little bit uh, you know to hear you on other shows and things, and 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 you can actually almost picture the the, the interviewers you know jaw dropping sometimes when you when you share information. Yeah. <laughs> That does happen sometimes. But uh, thanks for calling. Hey, thank you. And call again. Back after this break. Hi, folks. Dan, I'll walk back. Cutting through the matrix. Trying to tie pieces together for people. And out of some of these names I've mentioned, as I say, these are long lineages who are famous in every generation. And the players are still, their offspring are out there playing today in high positions. And you've got to go through the male and the female lineages because the female lineages will often camouflage themselves with their married names, their new married names. That's how it's done. Very, very old technique. And the been going this way for hundreds and hundreds of years. And I've got Scott from Washington. Are you there, Scott? Hello, Scott. Oh. I seldom get to call in live as I work during this hour. Well, I purchased your books and your DVDs, and they've awakened me to further uh, uh, understanding of the esoteric controllers that we're all subjected to. Mm-hmm. And my indignation is indeed arising. Um, I wanted to ask you a question. Are you there? Yeah. The philosophical underpinnings of this notion that perception equals reality. Yeah. Can, can you elaborate on that? I'm, I'm, I'm sure you and your, your, your listeners have heard this. I, I am. This is the one thing that seems to ignite well, see, me. Even in the time of Zoroaster and the Zarathustrian technique, as they called it, was for priests who had the knowledge, they could actually have you look at something and your mind should perceive through its mechanisms the input that's coming through your eyes and so on. However, if the priest got between that and your conclusion, you would have a false perception. This technique is taught through all marketing companies today, is taught in special divisions of governments uh, and bureaucracies, and how to market ideas, distort and alter perception of reality to the person. And when you're trained to accept experts' advice, which we all have been since the 1950s, then we, uh, we ignore our own conclusions. In fact, we don't even arrive at that stage of forming our own conclusions. We adopt the conclusion that's downloaded into us by the high priests of this particular science. So it is true when people are, are given a fake reality and distorted perceptions, false perceptions and conclusions, then you basically uh, have c- control of their mind. And it's used on a mass scale. It's taught in behavioral psychology and uh, to do with the masses, etc., on very high levels. 
Yeah. See? I know that the key to individual life is individual spiritedness. And I, I, I sense um, that my sense of fair play is at odds with these people that would Absolutely. say that is reality oftentimes. Fair play and integrity. The word is integrity. Personal integrity, integrity. yes. And these people have no personal integrity. You'll find the same at the bottom uh, of society as well. You'll find those who will sell your books when they shouldn't be doing it and making a yes. buck. Um, so, so yeah, people throughout all strata of society, especially in this society today, materialistic, who have no personal integrity, you have yourself to answer to ultimately and no one else and you must stand up for your own standards. It doesn't matter. When I hear the word integrity, I, I think adherence to your core values of what is true and right and, and, right. and, right. and proper. Mm -hmm. and, and it seems to me that our heritage under our unalienable rights in the, in, our, in the United States, and I'd like to think in Canada also, is that we have the freedom to act and do what is right. That is correct. And, okay, and thanks so much for taking my call, Alan. Uh, thanks for calling. Bye. And so that's it for tonight from a, a snowy Ontario, Canada, where the fire is going quite nicely. It's good night from Hamish and myself, and may your God or your gods go with you.